Our scripture reading today is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, verse 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife But he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. The very word of God. Children, if you would like, you may make your way to uh, your teachers and your friends in the back of the room. You are also welcome to stay here with us if your families would like. Let's pray for them as they make their way to the doors. Can we do that? God, thank you for these precious, precious gifts. Thank you for the little reminders that they are to us. God, of what's really important. Thank you that your word goes forth and it's passed from generation to generation. So God, bless these children now. Bless their teachers as they open your word together. And God, I pray that you would do the same for us here. For we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thinking about the, the children, it just is such a powerful reminder, isn't it, of, of what is important. But if I was to ask you that, you know, if I were to, to say to you, what, what is really important to you? What would you say? Right? What would you say? I think most of us would say something like, well, our families are important to us. Absolutely. Absolutely. Many would say health. Health is important. Many of us would would say our happiness is important. In other words, finding that deep, deep soul satisfaction. That's important. I would agree with you. I would agree with you, right? Many of us would say security, physical security or even financial security. That's important. And I'd say, yeah, I understand that completely. And then we would probably think, oh yeah, and, and of utmost importance is God, right? Even though in the day-to-day, oftentimes, He is prioritized just about where I just did, right? Along the way. We can say what we think is most important to us, but the truth, the truth is we don't really know, right? 
what's important to us until we encounter some challenge, until some trial enters our life that takes away all the other things, right? June, for much of her life, you know, depended on certain things. A special uh, gift to her was her friends. And, and they just traveled together. They ate together. They did so many things together. And, and it was, it's beautiful. It was just such a wonderful witness to me of deep, deep relationships, right? But here's the thing. She outlived most of her friends. And, and so if that was the only thing that her trust was in, she outlived it, right? And, and, and God gently took away that other foundation in her life. We can say, we can say we think this is important. And we can even carve it in stone or, or paste it on our walls of our living room. We can say what's important, but it really is tests and trials that that reveal to us what really is important. I said that very, very intentionally, right? Because I can easily say that trials and tests help point out what is really important. But I don't, I don't know that they create priorities. I think that they reveal priorities. Does that make sense? You know, they, don't, they don't all of a sudden reorder us. They just reveal what is really important to us already. So I'm not sure, but I'm thinking with you today that, that maybe it's those moments when life doesn't make sense, right? When life doesn't match up to our current way of understanding things, it's those moments that help us reorient our priorities. It's those moments that help us discern what really is important. Pray with me one more time, would you? God, thank you. Um, hmm. I know, I've read it so many times. James says, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. God, I, I know in my mind that I should rejoice when challenges come. I know in my mind that I should rejoice when trials come. But I have to just confess to you, God, and to my sisters and brothers, that I do not look for them. I do not long for them. God, I'm guessing as we gather here today that many of my sisters and brothers are experiencing that same thing. They're experiencing trials, God, which are, which are taking away all the things that they had thought were important. We're taking away, honestly, God, the things that we thought were holding up our faith. God, many, even in this room, have come to that point where there's nothing left for them. God, but you. And then I just rejoice. I just praise you. And when we come to that place, when we, when we arrive at that place where we have nothing left but you, that's when we discover that you are all we need. Would you meet us in that place for these next few moments, God? We'll give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week we saw that a young girl's life, and I mean a young girl, her life was completely turned upside down by a visit from an angel. God wanted His only begotten, the only 
person ever to walk this earth who was literally completely human and literally completely God because it was God's Holy Spirit that was her, his, this child's father, Jesus' father, right? God wanted His Son to live in her. And, and we discovered at the end of the service last week that, that that's true for each of us. God wants His Son, we think, to be born in us, but to continue living in us through the very same mechanism, through the presence of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. God lives in us. And then we just saw the amazing way, as, as, as Ben and Justine shared with us, the amazing way that, that, that Mary responded. Do you remember? She responded physically. Uh, it may be to me, God, as you have said. I don't understand this, but I trust you. And then, and then we saw last week that her soul was involved as well. And she said, oh, my soul magnifies the Lord, right? I can choose with my life to either magnify or diminish God. And I'm going to choose, this 13 or 14-year-old girl says, I'm going to choose to magnify Him. And then we saw that beautiful thing in, in the Magnificat where she says, and my spirit rejoices, right? My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. What was it that would enable someone who's going through something as traumatic as Mary was going through to have her spirit rejoice? Well, the presence of God does that for her. And I'm going to believe that that's true for us. But what I'd like to do with you today is to go and look at the flip side of this. Because Mary was betrothed, right? Even at that young age, she had committed her life to another man. And, and though they yet were not one, either in flesh or in, in spirit, they had made a legally binding agreement. And, and so I love it that Luke looks at the impact of the incarnation in Mary's life, but, but Matthew looks at the impact of the incarnation in Joseph's life. By the way, I just rejoice in Scripture that the Scripture just speaks to men and women, right? And, and, and every time you think, well, it's, it's patriarchal, right? The only thing that matters, no, look carefully. Look carefully. God celebrates women. He celebrates men. And in, in this amazing wisdom, He used both of them, men and women, to reflect His nature, to reflect the glory of God. But here we're seeing it kind of backwards than we usually do. Here we saw it in Mary first last week, and now we're going over to Matthew and seeing it in Joseph's life as well. Her, her betrothed, I, I, I hate to use the word fiancé because it means so much different in our culture than it did in theirs, but her fiancé has been told probably by Mary, right? Can you imagine that conversation? probably by Mary, that she is pregnant. And now he has to decide what he's going to do, right? So I just want to press pause for a second and say, look at the circumstances of his life. We celebrated last week that her life was finally coming together. She was betrothed. Here's a man with a stable job. Life was looking really good. And then God intervened and said, the natural consequence of this is people are going to revile you and, and, and the, the law requires that you be stoned, right? Well, the same is true for Joseph. Right? He, they were publicly betrothed to each other and now circumstances, the trial of his life, 
Thus far, remember, he's a young man himself, probably 18 or 20 years old. The trial of his life thus far was about to reveal what's really, really important to Joseph. Right? I want to press pause again for just a second and say, and we'll see it all through the Christmas season, but, but names are very important in Scripture, right? So somewhere in there, Joseph's parents said, we gotta, we got to come up with a name for our son, right? And, and, and what name did they chose, right? They, they chose um, a name now, not probably for its literal meaning. Um, probably if you look it up, it'll, it'll say, Joseph means God shall give the increase. Um, and they're assuming that God is the one that gives the increase, which is a great assumption to do. But it's the name that Rachel gave her firstborn after all that debacle in, in Genesis when, when she had to wait while everyone around her was getting pregnant, but she wasn't. She had to wait, and she had to wait, and she had to wait. And, and then finally God gave her a son, and, and I, don't, I can't recall, I do not know at any time earlier this name was used, and she called him Joseph, saying, God gave me a son. He has increased the boundaries, as Isaiah would say later, of my tent. He has blessed me, right? But, but the really cool thing is that, is that um, it really means, mm, this is going to be sacrilegious, but it really means hit me again. It means hit me again. God, she wasn't, she wasn't thanking God for giving the increase. She was asking for more. She was asking for more. By the way, God gave her more, right? Benjamin, son of my right hand. So, so what was Joseph's parents thinking when they named him Joseph? It's possible that they were going, they were going for that meaning, that literal meaning. We need, we want more children. Children with a social security system, they were the security that was so tempted to put our trust into, right? Uh, it's possible that she was going for that, but probably, this is me speaking now, it, it probably they were just remembering the Joseph, right? They were remembering the testimony of this amazingly faithful man who, despite absolutely incomprehensible odds, right, of nearly being murdered by his brothers, of being tossed into a pit, of being, of being sold into slavery, of being falsely accused and jailed, of all the trials that he went through faithfully. And then to see God honor that by exalting him to the second highest position in all of Egypt, to see God not only save his people through Joseph, but to save other nations as well, certainly the nation of Egypt, but the nations were coming to Egypt for salvation, for physical salvation. And God used Joseph to save their lives. Maybe, just maybe, Joseph's parents were saying, God, we want this young man, we want this precious child to be like Joseph. I can't speak to them. I can't remember their names, but, but um, I think I can say, yes, God did. And, that, and the secret to how that happened is in our scripture for today. God honored. If that was their intent, God honored it in spades. 
in spades and, and, and gave them a young man who would glorify God. So, so names are important, but, but, but trials reveal what's important to us. And I think this trial that Joseph's betrothed was now pregnant and, and telling this incredible story. And again, Joseph was a godly man, but this, this is, this is off the charts. All you have to do is put yourself in his situation, right? And you'll see how off the charts it is. If someone came to you, your beloved came to you and said something as astounding as what she said, you'll understand completely what Joseph was going through. This trial revealed what was going on, what was important to Joseph as well. It comes out in our scripture. Did you see it? What was important to Joseph was justice. Was justice. And I'm going to define it and then I'll try and circle back and support it myself. But I'm going to define justice here as living according to God's word. Living according to what what, you're all going, what? You've defined before justice as, as getting what you deserve, right? And, and, and that is true. That is absolutely true. And, but it also, if you live according to God's word, you will get what you deserve, whether or not you ever trust in Jesus, right? But I want to define it that way very particularly because we have this, we have this temptation, I do anyway, and I'm guessing that you're like me, we have this temptation to believe that justice is what's fair or equitable to all, right? What's fair or equitable to all the parties that are present. And we've celebrated before that one of the first things out of a child's mouth after mama maybe and dada is that's not fair, right? That's not fair. And so we just kind of live our whole lives believing that justice is about fairness. But the problem with fairness is that it's a very subjective judgment, right? Is it fair that that everyone gets exactly the same thing when God might have called them to something different? The reality is, is that if God was fair according to our standards of fairness, then then his kingdom would never advance and people would never be blessed, right? So Joseph looked beyond fairness to something much more important, to, to justice, to living according to a just God's desires, according to a just God's word. And Joseph was a just man. But, but even as we've seen in our exploration of the definition of justice, we, we realize that God is just as well, but God is also merciful, right? And, jo- and, and Joseph was also merciful here. He was unwilling to put his betrothed to shame. He was unwilling to be, put her to shame. Now remember, remember the first thing is he was going to live according to God's Word, right? Well, God's Word had two provisions for a situation like his. One of them was that the, the, the adulterer, and that's the only comprehension that he had of what must have happened, the adulterer would be stoned by the whole village, right? That was, that was one of the possible outcomes but then in mercy, God made another provision that, that you could divorce. And that sounds so strange for us thinking about betrothed and not yet married. But in their culture, it was a legally binding agreement. And God, out of the hardness of human hearts, God made this provision that because of adultery, that he could divorce her. And it's so beautiful. In his mercy, he not only chooses 
that option, but he chooses, as Matthew tells us, to do it quietly, right? He did not want to put her to shame. Now, we've explored together the difference here between guilt and shame. But let me just remind you, and then, and then I just covet your, your feedback on that, because I'm trying to understand the truth of God's Word as well. But we've defined before that guilt is the belief that you have done something bad. Is that fair? Guilt is the belief that you have done something bad. You feel something. I have done something bad. And we've explored before that that could be good guilt, right? That could be because you have done something contrary to God's Word. And, and the only result when that happens is, is brokenness and pain, right? So that's a good guilt, right? It's a guilt that leads to godly sorrow. And there's a godly sorrow, Paul tells us, that leads us to repentance, right? So, so there is this thing called good guilt. But then there's also this thing called bad guilt where, where we constantly are absorbing the brokenness and pain of others, things that are not our responsibility. And many people can't see beyond that. They can't see that Christ has died for that and they don't have to bear that guilt any longer. They haven't received the freedom that comes from knowing that Christ has paid the penalty. Christ has released them from that burden of guilt. So there's guilt, there's good guilt, and there's bad guilt. But we're talking about something different here. And again, um, I, I apologize if somewhere along my journey something influenced me. I honestly can't tell you whether, whether something influenced me in this or whether I came to this myself All I know is that for the bulk of my adult life, I have lived this reality that while guilt is believing that you have done something bad, shame is believing that you are bad. Is believing that you are bad. And there's a real problem with shame, right? Because God created every single woman and man you lay eyes on, right? God created them before the foundation of the world. He set their lives apart for meaning and purpose. And God is not naive. He knew that there would be times when, when they would break, when we would break His heart. There'd be times when we would sin, right? But in love, God made a provision for that already. So God has made a provision so that we would not have to live under this false understanding that we are bad. We are bad. I, I, I was praying whether to go here. One of the first times I became aware of this, Ronnie and Linda, was with your son. Um, um, he did something. He did, it might have been the time he almost took my finger off with that thread. I'm not sure what it was. But, but, he, um, but he came and, and he said, I'm so bad. I'm so bad. And I said, no. Are you kidding me, Robert? You're a child of God. And it just struck me so powerfully that, that he, was, he was ashamed, right, when Christ had paid the penalty for shame, right? So you don't ever have to live in shame. Child of God. You are his precious creation. Yeah, maybe, maybe his Holy Spirit is giving you signals that you're still not in alignment with, with um, what God believes is best for you. But you can be forgiven of that, but you are never in God's eyes, never in God's eyes, shameful, right? You are his precious 
child. So, so Joseph, in mercy, right? In, in mercy, does not want to put her to shame. And I can just see the little cogs in his mind spinning, right? He, he wants to figure out a way to navigate this that will not bring shame to Mary. And he decides in his mind that he's going to divorce her quietly, right? What was important to Joseph was living according to God's Word. But justice was, was tempered by mercy. And in that, he was reflecting the nature, the image of the one whose image he bore. He was reflecting the nature and character of God. The third thing that was important to Joseph here was humility was humility. And, and he would never have said that, said that because humble people don't ever say, look at my humility, right? So I'm extrapolating a little bit right here. But, but Joseph was willing to put someone else's desires before his own. Before his own. In other words, he was willing to sacrifice his own desires for God's. Right? And... and in that he was showing humility, justice, mercy, humility. Right? Does that sound familiar? Is it starting to ring a bell for some of you, right? Because, what, 500 years before, before this moment, the prophet Micah, through the prophet Micah, I love that ringtone, by the way. Dave is on call this morning, too, so he's probably getting a notification about something going on at Deaconess. Lord bless you, brother. Use your gifts to fix it. Um, 500 years before, the prophet Micah had, had simplified and made clear what God thought was important to his people. I'm going to read the long version of it because it's so beautiful. Micah 6. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I, shall I come before Him with burnt offerings and calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil, right? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, as was happening in that culture constantly, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Shall I do these things? And then God answers, he has told you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? Right? Joseph understood. He understood. So Joseph, like his namesake, the prince of Egypt, Joseph, at the ripe old age of 18 or 20 years of age, has chosen to make important in his life what was important to God. And I can't, I can't overstate the importance of this truth, right? Not that at any point of your life you can't repent and, and choose to make important things of God, right? At any moment, today, you can choose to draw a line in the sand and to turn from the idols of your life and to make important the things of God, right? But, but I can't overstate, especially young people, the, the importance of choosing that decision early, of making that decision. Now, can I get a witness from some of us older people? 
Did you follow me on that? The importance of choosing to follow God while you're young. Right? Why? Why? Because, because when you step outside the boundaries of God's will for your life, you'll experience the consequences of that, right? And not only will you experience it, but everyone around you will experience it as well. So, so I just want to encourage you. And again, what, what a living example of this young man, this very young man, right? Choosing to make important for himself what was important to God. And, and I rejoice that he lived Micah 6.8. But, but I rejoice here too that God said, Joseph, there's more for you. And there's always more for us with God, right? Don't, don't hear more requirements, more things to do. No, more beauty, more insight, more, more intimacy with God. And, and while, while these three things, justice and mercy and humility, were important to Joseph, God says, Joseph, there's a couple more things that are important for you here, right? Things that were important to God. He said again to Joseph, like he said to Mary in our passage last week, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And I just cannot overstate again how much fear of something drives our decision-making, right? Fear of loss. Fear of insecurity. Fear of what will happen to you, right? And, and for Joseph, that must have been a powerful reality. What's going to happen to me if the world becomes aware that, that Mary is pregnant? But fear also of what others will think of you what others will think of you. Don't be afraid of those things, God says. I'm guessing that you and I will be put in those situations where it'll look like we're not honoring God if we actually do what God asks us to do. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. But secondly, God has invited him to trust in what the Lord has said. Trust in that, right? The Lord appeared to Joseph through an angel, right, in a dream to, to tell him what God's will was. But we have the very Word of God, right? The question is not, do we understand or do we have God's will for our life? The question is whether we'll trust in it. So many of us, when we find ourselves in that dilemma, go back to that anchor passage. I'm going to again read a larger portion of it so that when I get to the familiar part, You'll understand the context. Proverbs 3, 1 through 6. My son, Solomon says, don't forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace, peace, they will add to you. So don't let steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. What are we writing? Steadfast love and faithfulness, right? So you will find favor and success, not only in the sight of God, but also in the sight of those very people that you fear, in the sight of man. And then he says it. Can you feel it coming? Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, Joseph, in all your ways, Kristen, in all your ways, Dave, acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. He will make straight your path. Trust.
Don't be afraid. And trust. And finally, and finally, do what the Lord commands, right? We've seen over and over again that, especially in our culture, we have this propensity to intellectually give assent to what the Lord asks and never to put it into practice. That wasn't true for Joseph. We've had an amazing experience in seeing the thought processes, seeing the integrity of his heart, seeing that he heard God's command for him. But did you catch what happened right at the end of that passage? He did it. He did it. Joseph took Mary as his wife, pregnant as she was. Right? Joseph did not have relationship with her. Physical relationship is a euphemism in the Bible. They didn't have sex until Jesus was born. What a sacrifice for a husband to make. He knew her not until the child was born. And if I could press pause one more time. Again, God's Word doesn't do things just to keep us from experiencing pleasure or just to keep us from experiencing happiness. He doesn't want us to settle for less than the joy that he has for us, right? So before Joseph, he was, he was married now to Mary, but he sacrificed the physical part of their relationship because before he, she was ever his bride, she was God's bride. Did you follow that? And, and, and young people, what a great way to think about people in your life, right? Uh, they're not mine. <laughs> They are first the Lord's, right? And, and I'm going to treat them like they are the Lord's. And more mature people, isn't that a nice way of saying that? More mature people, isn't that a beautiful way to live, right? To treat everyone as not only the precious child of the Lord, but the one betrothed to the Lord. Before they are ever yours to use or abuse, they are His. And when you mess with them, you're messing with the living God. Wow, that's about as fire and brimstone as I get. It's easy for me to do that, right? Because I have a daughter, right? I have a daughter. You mess with her. You're messing with a little, with a living God. And by the way, you're messing with me, and I have a chainsaw. <laughs> just keep that in mind. I'm just saying. Just saying. Okay? You're messing with me. So Joseph, Joseph took Mary to be his wife. He knew her not until the child was born. And he did what the angel said, though I'm sure he could not fully comprehend it yet. He gave this child the name Jesus. The name Jesus. And if you're not familiar with that, it was the most common name for a boy in Jesus' time. I think it would be parallel in a Hispanic culture to Jesus, literally, and, and maybe in an American culture to John or Jane or some very, very familiar name, right? It was very common. Why? Because of what it meant. It meant, literally, it was the Greek form of Joshua, which was a, a more modern form of an older name, Hosea, which was literally Yahweh Shuaz, 
or Yahweh saves. God saves. And in the midst of all those trials, in the midst of all that brokenness and pain, they clung to this reality and they named their children. I don't see how it's going to happen. I don't understand how it's going to happen. But I put my weight down on this truth that God saves and God alone saves, right? And Joseph, in the midst of all this stuff, God says, name him Jesus. Because this one, this Jesus, this Jesus, is the fulfillment of every other one. This Jesus is a Savior. So two powerful truths from our thing here. Again, it's, it's kind of intimately tied up with the names of Jesus, the two names, Emmanuel and Jesus, that we see for this, for this baby who is growing in in Mary's womb, Jesus is God in the flesh. He is God in the flesh. Behold, the virgin shall conceive. I know all kinds of people argue about what well, meant something else in the original language. Um, it, it meant both, but if it was unclear in, in the story of Isaiah, and that's an amazing story, in Isaiah 7, it's an amazing story, beautiful but for right now, just borrow from me. If anything was unclear, and I don't believe it was in Isaiah, Matthew makes it very clear. There is no misunderstanding. Matthew knew that Mary was a virgin and emphasized that she had not been with a man. So put a little note here uh, underneath that. We will not go into it right now, but a little note under there, the importance of the virgin birth. Why? Because that meant that God was his father, right? If it was not a virgin... Ooh, just caught myself. Wow. It probably says in your note... It really is a misnomer to say virgin birth, right? Um, because what we're talking about right here is, is virgin conception, right? Because all kinds of other, uh, other false teachings and, and things even prevalent in the Roman culture that day were saying that, that gods came down and raped human women and they had babies and those people were, were, um, were kings and princes, right? Um, there was, this is not that. And people say, well, Matthew is just adopting a a story that was there. This is not that at all. God didn't rape Mary. The Holy Spirit conceived her. It's virgin conception. But it's critically important because in that understanding, we understand that Jesus was completely God and He was completely human at the same time. And this God came to dwell with us. Emmanuel. But not only did He come to dwell with us, God in the flesh, but the angel made clear and Joseph believed this Jesus will save people from their sins. This is the solution to false guilt and shame, right? Jesus will save us from our sins. She will bear a son and you will call his name Jesus and he will save, for he will save his people from their sins. I'm so grateful to God that he understands my brokenness. And I, I'm, I don't know about you, but I still face this battle and this struggle every day. I'm very conscious of opportunities to sin in my life. And I'm an old guy, right? I hate, to, I hate to dump that on our younger people here, but 
but it, it never goes away. Amen? I mean, we live with this our entire life until that day when, when Jesus himself, we stand before him and he says, be glorified, right? Until that day, we're going to struggle with this sin, right? The good news is that as you put God's word into practice, then, well, I say it's good news, then the simple things become easier, but the temptations become deeper. They become now not physical, but emotional or even spiritual. But here, the good word of Jesus. Jesus came to save us from our sins. Right? Emmanuel has come to save us from our sins. And when you cry out to him for forgiveness, in the name of Jesus, not by any strength of your own, God forgives. God forgives. So I want to invite you to prepare for Christmas. Something, as I say that, to prepare for the second coming of Jesus by believing that his sacrifice was sufficient. By believing that God with us has given himself for us and he has saved us from our sins. Pray with me, would you? Oh God, thank you so much for for Joseph, for an amazing man who sought to honor you, and God, you took him to the well. You took him beyond the boundaries of his ability to comprehend. But in that stretch, in taking him beyond his comfort level, in taking him into this trial, this amazing physical, emotional, and spiritual trial, God, he discovered things that changed the course of eternity. Now through your word, we can see it ourselves. And God, I pray for those who are still living in the guilt and shame of their sin or the sins that have been committed against them. In Jesus' name, I ask you, God, give us the mustard seed of faith to believe that you are enough, Jesus. We don't need to do anything more than trust you with all of our heart. Forgive us for leaning on our own understanding. Allow us, God, to comprehend the incomprehensible. And then I pray that we could put our trust in him. That those who have never known you, today, Jesus would be able to say, I believe, Jesus, that you came for me. I believe that you died for my sins. I believe that you broke the power of sin and disease and death over me. And that I can, I can be free from those things and live forever with you. Oh, Jesus, be the Lord of my life today. Be born in me today. And then, God, I pray also for those of us who know Jesus, but who have begin to grip again the, the false things that we think will bring us security in this life. Gently, ever so gently, allow us to let go. Would you, God? To trust again in Christ and Christ alone and to live into that freedom. And God, I rejoice. God, I give you praise and, and glory For this truth, which was true and transforming for Joseph, is true and transforming for us as well. 
I'm astounded. I'm astounded, God, at the transformation that one little life made. May it be true. May it be true of us as well. I ask in Christ's name. Amen.